Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every maniacal laugh, dastardly plan, ill-advised revelatory monologue, and superb fashion choice is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And today we're doing something different. Um, For those of you who follow us on the internet, you may have discovered that or may know that we had some issues with our special Halloween episode. And while this will be released sometime in November, it is very much in the spirit of Halloween because we are doing a villain draft. (laughs) And uh, so we are definitely taking this draft idea from one of uh, of the podcasts Mandy and I both listen to. Uh, It's called The Incomparable, and they have done a great many very entertaining drafts. Uh, which I will link to some of my favorites in the show notes of this episode. But uh, the general premise is we go back and forth drafting uh, our favorites or, you know, drafting from a particular category, in this case, villains, and justifying our draft. Because And somehow there's not really a winner in whose collection is better, but this is really just more an excuse for us to have fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, Mandy, anything to add before we get started? Um, No, okay. I love villains. Excellent. I do too. And I love many of them for many different reasons. And we'll cover that. Uh, I'll let you start, Manny. So for round one, who is who's your first pick? So I went back and forth on who would be first. And then I decided I had to go with the villain who scared me the most, uh, which is not easy. Uh, I'm not easily scared by villains stories. Sure. Um, But uh, and that has to go to Dracula from the actual original Dracula. Nice pick. Yeah, Dracula terrifies me. Uh, this is why I had a long time hiatus on I refused to read or watch anything that had vampires in it, because vampires terrified me. And we um, broke that with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Uh, no, we broke it with uh, Dresden Files. Oh, gotcha. Because they snuck, I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> it was going to have vampires in it. Uh but, uh, yeah, I read Dracula in high school and it terrified my poor mind. I, I just find Dracula to be very scary because he basically seems like a very suave, charming guy. And he, like, seduces you to death. And that's terrifying. Ooh, that is creepy. Yeah. Man. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a pretty creepy pick. Um, my first is one... There was a high chance of us overlapping on, but I just have to take him so nobody else can be taken. And I went back and forth between two uh, for this, but uh, I have to go with Darth Vader from Star Wars. Mm, good uh, villain. Just his style. Uh, and the, I mean, you know, we were introduced to him so early and he's just, he, he just embodies power in a way that is so intimidating to everyone who comes, you know, who's around him. And it, it's pretty impressive. And he's just so iconic. I did not include Darth Vader on my list. And I think that's partly because... While Darth Vader is a villain, he's redeemed by the end. So, it's true. Uh, and which, that's why I, I'm specifically saying from Star Wars in 1977. Yeah. So from the first movie, there are all kinds of other, I mean, Darth Vader changes as a character as time goes on, but from, you know, Star Wars, A New, a New Hope, if you want to go with the subtitle, but specifically from that movie. Um, so, yeah. yeah. he's He's got flair. He's kind of terrifying uh, and uh, takes Princess Leia captive. Though fails at killing Luke Skywalker, which is kind of a, you know, come on, Darth Vader. You could have done better. It's true. Uh, he, he could have done better there. But, you know, it's just the Force is a really creepy thing. Um, he does kill Obi-Wan in the, uh, you know, in that movie. And it's, again, part of it is just the impact he's had on our culture since then. I mean, you know, everybody makes the breathing effects and so on. And it's it's hard to think of a villain that is 
I, there are definitely some that are as widely recognized, but he's just so immediately recognizable and appreciated by people. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that pick. Uh, for my number two, I was going to go with uh, Lucifer from Supernatural. Ooh, okay. S- particularly from season five, because I feel like season 11, uh, hum- human- what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, makes him less... Uh, unknowable i guess uh but in season five he is like the epitome of what we have been building up to for five seasons of supernatural and he is terrifying and he will just murder you and uh you know his trying to convince sam to say yes and his just wanting to destroy everything yeah it's it's uh and he's just such a great he's so great on the screen and we talked about this in the supernatural podcast uh but uh lucifer just makes everything better (laughs) i agree and he's so fitting for the show i mean for that show like who should be the ultimate bad guy other than lucifer himself right right Right. Uh, it's so great it's again some of the issues we have with later series like once Uh. you have this this you know fight where lucifer is the bad guy it's like how do you really top that and the answer is you don't you keep trying and you don't but um yeah so another really awesome pick um so I'm going to go back a little bit to 1959 for my next pick. 1959. Uh, 1959, Sleeping Beauty's Maleficent. Oh, she was on my list. You stole her. <laughs> yeah, uh, that makes me feel even better about this pick. So she's such a, she is so evil. You know, I mean, you start off with this. And she with can this, turn into a dragon. And she can turn into a dragon. And I mean, I love Disney. I love Disney a lot. I love how many great bad guys there are in it. But she just is so creepy. Uh, I mean, there's a reason that when, you know, you go into the Kingdom Hearts series, uh, you know, the series of video games, and they have a bunch of Disney characters in a circle who are talking. It's like Maleficent is the one that is clearly most scary. I mean, this is just look at the root of her name, you know, and she's so... They did such a good job of making her just drip with evil, and nobody else quite hits that feel. Yeah, and and I haven't seen the movie Maleficent, uh, but I do not feel like Maleficent is a character that benefits from backstory. Yeah. Uh, I do not feel like she needs it. She's just evil, you know? Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet. I actually own that movie and haven't seen it yet because I keep... Even when I'm in the mood to watch something, I'm a little bit reluctant to give myself backstory for her because she is just sort of evil. And I like that a lot. I I imagine, you know, I don't know exactly what they did with Maleficent. I wonder if they did something sort of like Wicked where they kind of change. My uh, understanding is they they definitely uh, toned down the evilness and gave her all of this backstory that kind of just made her seem like extremely sympathetic. And I'm just like, no, Maleficent is evil. I mean, and you and I, we talked extensively about sympathetic villains at one point. So, like, we we get it, but that's not Maleficent. No. Yeah. Maleficent's the person who's just like, you didn't invite me to your party, so I'm going to murder you all. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, of all the Disney villains, she's just at the top for creepiest. To yeah. Me. And, I mean, that's part of the reason why Sleeping Beauty is actually my second favorite Disney princess movie. Mm. Uh, it's because of Maleficent and uh, Prince uh, Prince Philip. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, so another really fun, just tidbit um, about the movie is, is it's really impressive because Disney, the man, was kind of crazy and would do things with production that was kind of crazy. I mean, if you think about the fact that they made Snow White as the first feature length animation, that's a pretty big deal. But Sleeping Beauty, it was actually it was the first widescreen Disney movie. And back then, most theaters weren't widescreen. Um, but also, they recorded seven channels of surround audio. And at the time, most theaters were still making the mono- the the transition from mono to stereo sound. So 
pretty big deal, kind of crazy. And it, it really, uh, it's amazing how when you rewatch that movie, it really doesn't feel like it's aged like crazy. It really holds up because of just how simple they, they focus on simple execution rather than trying to trying for a bunch of weird nuance and messaging that hasn't that doesn't really carry on across uh, decades. Looking at you, Snow White. Looking yes. at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, good times. So Maleficent, the mistress of all evil. Yep. I, uh, yep. I mean, there's a reason why she's still like she is considered Disney's like biggest bad, mm-hmm. right? Like when you go to the Disney theme parks, she is like short of like the devil, you know? Right. She is the one. And I'm I'm really glad they have kept that. Uh, you know, they keep it up. Like they have not let her drift out of sight. Um, yeah. Which is really cool. So that's my second pick. Second? Was that second? Are we on that second? was second? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because I went first. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so losing count third? over here. Uh, my third is going to be another one we've recently talked about, uh, but Kilgrave ooh. from Jessica Jones. I'm, I'm uh, going to say ooh after all of your picks because that's my <laughs> my gut response. But yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing about Kilgrave is he can take over you and make you a bad guy. Or he could just kill you in like the most like flippant way possible it's just really terrifying that he has the power to completely take over your life yeah it's pretty darn creepy um so it and and yeah we did talk extensively and it's just the idea of losing control of your own mind yeah or your own body rather is frightening yeah and i mean he's an insane person i mean there's no way to fight against that Unless you're a Jessica, right? So, yeah. like, it's not like Maleficent where you can pull out your sword and try to kill her or Darth Vader where, you know, if you're not on the same planet as him, it, you know, doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Kilgrave, if you're within, you know, sound, you're susceptible. Yeah. Um, so my next one is another one that might be on your list. So apologies in advance. But uh, this villain was he kind of he was in the the background for uh, most of his story and that's when he was at his creepiest but fire lord ozai from oh. avatar the last airbender uh, not on my list but that's a good one he's he's at a distance and just so creepy and the big thing about him is that he's not a just a villain who could take over the world he's a villain who assef- essentially did yeah. you know like he did succeed and if not for ang the last airbender having like a, who was the avatar waking up he could, you know, the Fire Nation that Fire Lord Ozai uh, leads would have continued and would have dominated, you know? And he's not even, like, one of those villains who's at least, like, nice to his own kids. No. No, yeah. Like, he's Azula ter- is crazy, and Zuko is, like, you know, exiled, and uh, it's... Yeah, and it's because of how he how he is. Like, he's yeah. the one who... He, he has put these deep-rooted psychological issues into his kids because he's just terrible to everyone. I mean, you know, his whole uh, usurping of the of power in the first place was because he's just a conniving evil person and it's just from beginning to end he's an evil person and thankfully i mean i think he's most effective when he's not around but they don't really diminish him until he's supposed to be diminished in the story like you know even when he comes on they don't overdo it they don't let him they don't put him on screen for too long and he Uh, i mean the fact that he's powerful enough to actually fight ang and it be like an equal fight Yes, absolutely. Like, Aang has the power of all the elements. Ozai just has the power of fire. And it's like, there's a doubt that Aang may not win. Yeah, because Ozai is just that strong. And and that's a fear that they really lay into us early is they don't let us doubt his power early. Like, people are scared of him. Everyone is scared of him. Everyone who knows him, everyone who doesn't, just everyone is frightened by him. And it, it, 
is really, really one of the most frightening bad guys. And again, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that children's media is often disregarded, but Avatar The Last Airbender is just one of the most intense stories, and it does so many things that adult stories do poorly so well, and Ozai is one of them. Yep. Ah, wow. So um, we're breezing through, which is fine. Um, so what is what is your fourth? Uh, th- this is this is tough. Um, it- it's really hard at this point to, to keep like ranking, and th- this is where we're going to start getting into villains that aren't necessarily scary, but are still like effective and like I don't. I mean, know, I have moving. some of those on my list, and I also have some that are neither scary nor effective. I, so. I also, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to have to go with one that we're not going to be able to talk about too much, but we can talk about a little bit. Okay, uh, and that is uh, Ishmael from the Wheel of Time. Whose name I have heard like once in the series so far. So. Yes. Uh, so there's not much I can say other than he's one of the Forsaken of the Dark One. And all of the Forsaken in the Wheel of Time are like horrible, horrible, horrible people. Um, like take the like worst things you can think of, including like Kilgrave taking over people's minds. And that's in there. Think of your mad scientist who's like experimenting on, you know, DNA and making these like mutants who have no control over their own lives that that, that's in there. Um, But Ishmael is like the head one, if you will, ish, ish. Um, There's really, they they constantly fight for, you know. Yeah, of course, because they're all bad guys. It's not like they're going to have a clear. um, Right. I mean, I've already gotten that thread so far in just the first two books that none of these, like they all just want to be second to the dark or the. So the thing that I love about Ishmael and uh, I almost, (laughs) is he's the one that is the most terrifying and sympathetic at the same time. And his motivations are not anyone else's. He has completely different motivations from every single other Forsaken. And his are perhaps the most bleak and understandable motivation. Uh, And I can't say anything more specific than that (laughs) because Michael is currently reading The Wheel of Time. Uh, But if you have read The Wheel of Time... You know what I mean. Think of the last book. Uh, think of ev- everything to do with that. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, yes, yes. I love Ishmael <laughs> in all of his incarnations and names. <laughs> well, I look forward to, well, I don't know if I look forward is the right thing. I, I guess I do look forward to knowing why why you uh, love him in this particular way or why you feel this way about him. So looking forward to it. Yeah. He's the other side of the coin to Rand. So, you know, it's. It's great. Yeah. So my next one is I'm I'm actually going back to Disney. Uh, it's the it's my only my I only have two from Disney, but I could pick him later. But I really really want to pick him now. Uh, and it's Scar from The Lion King, who is oh, clearly Scar. like modeled after Hamlet's Claudius. Yeah. But I I mean The Lion King is the first movie I ever cried in at the scene that everybody like I'm sure anybody listening can knows exactly what scene that was at. Can, um, can we? Sp- I mean, it's lying. Yeah, we can spoil it. So, <laughs> so like when when Scar kills his own brother, you know, when his brother's asking him for help, it's just this is a bad guy. <laughs> like he's really bad, and I'm really surprised at Disney not pulling that punch. You know, still retroactively, but he's just so terrible. He goes and he, you know, he gets hit. He would have gladly killed his. Uh, I mean, he actually asked the hyenas to kill his nephew as well, yeah. but you know, he scares his nephew away essentially hires assassins to to go kill his nephew and they fail and he's just terrible and like things are worse for everybody including him with Mufasa gone and so on but 
that doesn't matter because power is what he wants and he's just horrible and it's really funny because we think about how disney is you know family friendly and you know sunshine and rainbows but they've got some really evil characters that are just really terrible and uh yeah scar is the first disney villain that i loved as a villain um or that i was frightened of uh and you know so second in my mind to maleficent it's fair fair yeah, but Scar made his mistake in trusting hyenas. It's true. And then talking bad about them where they could hear. Scar also has one of the most traumatizing Disney deaths. Like, yes. he gets eaten alive by hyenas. Totally deserves it, but, you know. It's fairly <laughs> true. I mean, Maleficent just gets, like, stabbed, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it makes yeah. sense. It, it's just traumatizing. And, I mean, it, his his death is of his own doing, so it's it's very fitting in that way. Um, but yeah, so happy with Scar. I'm happy with my list so far. <laughs> and so far, we've only had one steal, so. Ah, Maleficent. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with for my next one, one that is a little like on the line, if it's allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with humanity. Uh, and mm. particularly in the book Soft Apocalypse. <laughs> Which uh, I have not read. By so. uh, Will McIntosh. But there are a lot of things where the villains of the story are just like human nature and like, you know, it's not any particular person. And it's almost like human humanity is a force of nature, kind of on the same, like a force of nature, bad guy, you know? Uh, And uh, that is definitely the soft apocalypse is one of the few books that has given me a nightmares. Uh, So, and like all the humans, uh, are just awful people. That's not true. The the main character, I mean, they're it's complete everything they're doing is completely understandable. It's just that when you're in situations like, you know, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but uh it, it's like humanity's own foibles causing humanity is the villain in humanity's own story. Yeah. Uh that reminds me and I haven't I don't read nor or watch the walking dead but every once in a while friends will say something and you know it's almost like a common meme but you know the the premise of the walking dead is essentially it's post-zombie apocalypse and people often say it's like but the humans are the real monsters right you know and that's uh and it's just that the zombie kind of conditions bring it out and so i, I totally i i totally see where you're going at and i totally buy it that is acceptable to me uh yeah, the order is getting a little bit tough for me, too. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about order. I feel like, you know, we're going through quickly enough that we'll be able to get through uh, a whole bunch of these. Um, so my next pick is the Joker, but specifically Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight. Mm, Heath um, Ledger over Mark Hamill. Yes. Um, I need explanation. So Mark Hamill is my favorite Joker, but that's because I see him as a, an actual character. Um, Heath Ledger's Joker is different. In that he's just chaos. Like, he's a representation of chaos on screen. Um, You know, there's that line from the movie, where like, some men just want to see the world burn. And that really resonates as a villain. Whereas Mark Hamill is always going to be my favorite Joker because he actually acts as a consistent foil to Batman and, um, and highlights a lot of aspects of Batman. But The Dark Knight was really really just used the Joker to kind of throw people into the worst possible situations and gave Batman the opportunity, not so much to oppose the Joker, but to oppose the worst in people. Um, he was really, really creepy to everyone in movie and out. Uh, I will, I won't ever forget that performance. Um, so he's, to me, it's really weird to say that I think he's the second best Joker, but the best villain as a Joker. And a part of it is I don't actually have very high regard for comic book villains most of the time. Yeah. Um, they're, 
I mean, there's a reason Lex Luthor is not on my list, even though Superman is my favorite character, because I don't find a lot of comic book villains compelling. Um, and the Joker in Mark Hamill's Joker in the animated series is very much along the lines of comic book villains, whereas the Joker in, in a movie was just very different from what I've been used to. Uh, and much less understandable. And because of that inability to understand him without thinking, oh, this person's unrealistically terrible. He's just, uh, you just can't get him. And um, I, I don't know. I find that compelling for some reason. I can't quite nail down exactly why. Yeah. I Yeah. He, you know, he lacks the logic that the rest of us might have. Right. Right. Um, and he just does what he wants. Uh, and he just really wants to mess with Batman and he almost doesn't care if he dies in that process. Right. Yeah. That he has no like self-preservation or anything like that. He, he's just toying with everyone. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. I think what you nailed it when you said he likes logic, because that's what normally bugs me about a lot of villains, especially comic book villains is their logic just doesn't make any sense, but they think it does. Whereas the Joker's like, forget that. The Joker in in the Dark Knight, it's, right. he just throws logic out the window, and I can accept that. I, I can be like, well, all right, logic is gone. Versus someone trying to justify things in ways like, but that's not even the best way to accomplish what you want to do, you know. Um, which is a, a common complaint of me of mine for superhero villains or comic books. So yeah, Heath Ledger's Joker. And on that thought, my next villain is Zack Snyder. Oh wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh. Sorry. Too soon. No real people in this draft. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> that's painful, I, actually. I could put, he, he would fit on my list. <laughs> I, I know. That's, that's why I, uh, yeah, it, it, it hurts my heart sometimes. Uh, I, I, cause I was just thinking when you were saying that, like, you know, after watching Batman versus Superman, I bu- might put Batman on my villains list, <laughs> but we won't go there. Okay. Um, I still haven't seen so, that. So. I know you. Yeah. Yeah. I only watched it because it was free on an airplane. So, uh, but since we brought up comic book villains, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Magneto. Okay. Uh, he's just great. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's the original style Magneto where he's just an overtop monologuing villain with, uh, questionable fashion or, you know, uh, original movie Magneto where he's like, a terrorist who thinks he's doing what's right, but is doing horrible things. Uh, I just think Magneto is a really compelling character, uh, but he's also like a villain, right? He kills people. Yeah. Um, he He's, uh, and not even on the level of like, he's an anti-hero, like say Punisher who just kills bad guys, right? Magneto will kill innocent humans. I mean, he's a terrorist. In the way. Yeah. Like Ma- Magneto is a villain. And I, I think a lot of, I feel like, some of the modern movies have lost sight of that a little bit. Uh, we well, and the comics do sometimes too. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, but uh, when Magneto, from the perspective of a human, Magneto is terrifying, right? Because oh, he yeah. he doesn't care. You might as well be an ant, right? Your your life is meaningless to him, and so uh, and he's super powerful. Um, but he has very compelling reasons to be the way he is, and uh, he's. Uh, trying to do what he thinks is best it just happens that you know he's doing it in a way that's going to result in the death of all of us non-mutants and one of the things that's you know you can see the root of sympathy in him and that whole i mean it's sort of the root of the whole conflict in x-men which is that mutants are this group who are other who are born that way 
and most of them can't hide. And, um, and so, and people are scared of them and treat them poorly. And so there's this sort of rise against that. It's like, well, if you're not going to treat us well, like you can see that emotional response. It's like, well, if we're not going to be treated well, then we're going to take a rightful place on top of, you, you know? And I mean, that's not okay, but I get it. And, uh, that, Definitely gives me some affection for Magneto, even if he's wrong constantly. <laughs> oh, Magneto. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, since we're on the comic book things, I have one other comic book villain uh, who's sort of an honorable mention, but I'm going to go ahead and bump him up anyways, because we've got the time. <laughs> uh, and it is Darkseid, specifically from the Superman Superman the Animated Series in the 90s. Um, I don't normally care much about Darkseid. Um, do you know much about him? No. Um so his, his yeah, dark side comes from the planet Apocalypse, um, which what a is a name for a planet. Yeah, exactly. And he's basically he is essentially a god. Um, like he's a nearly. I mean, you're much more familiar with Marvel than DC, and he's right. like, he's like kind of on par with those god tier bad guys. Um, and he's a Superman villain, and he is absolutely more powerful than super um he's got instead of just regular eye heat beams he's got eye lasers that can like target and zoom around and stuff independently of him uh he's stronger than superman he has this entire army of superhuman beings at his disposal but the thing that does it the thing that really and it's why this this particular version is i think superman the animated series represents superman correctly in that he is inherently trustworthy makes the right decisions people love him and they are right to love him and Darkseid shatters the trust and love that humans have for Superman because going along with your uh, your Kilgrave pick earlier, he controls Superman at one point. Oh, so no. he he put, places Superman under his rule and invades Earth with Superman as the lead for the charge. And that's not cool. It's not cool at all. And the way that it affects and he knows it's like the reason to do this. He doesn't need that. Need Superman. He could put Superman out of commission. He doesn't need Superman in order to take over the planet. Although he really likes the idea of having him because he's more powerful than any of the other people that he's got under him. Uh, so he'd like him as a lieutenant. But the real reason is because even if Superman comes out of his control later, this is going to wreck Superman. And yeah. um, because he'll know what he's done with his own hands, even if he wasn't in control. And uh, and it's just, it's really evil. It's really dark. And he's, at least in that series, he's always creepy. And, uh, you know, it's a really effective villain. So, uh Yeah. <sighs> Since we're on comic books, <laughs> obviously, obviously, Loki. Uh, but Loki's are, on the Are you sure? I mean... I, that's the thing. I, Loki is on so low on the list because I'm not sure I consider him a villain. <laughs> okay, no, he's a villain. I'm not going to let you slide that. He is a villain. I understand all your arguments and why he's sympathetic and all that. Well, I was going to go with in current comic book iterations. Oh, okay. It, currently in the comic book, I'm not sure he actually qualifies as a villain anymore. But I love classic comic book Loki, who is just like turning the world into ice cream for no reason, like old school. Like, I mean, <laughs> like it's like a lighthearted villainous like, plan. <laughs> he's like a lighthearted version of what I described as the Dark Knight's Joker, and that he's just kind of chaos because, yeah. and then that's what Loki is in mythology too, right? Right, he's, right. And then Loki in the movies is obviously a villain. Um, I, no arguments from me on that. Uh, yeah, my my only hesitance for him being on the list is that currently in the comic books, it. He, they've kind of gone back on him being a villain a little bit, uh, and and more into the chaos and less in a in a villainous way. But in the movies, he is definitely a villain, uh, and uh, uh, could be an effective one. But he is so wrapped up in his family drama. 
Well, I mean, and, and let's say, like, there are times in the comics where Magneto's not a villain. Like, right. there are times where he takes over the school and is, like, a good guy. So, but he's generally a villain. And I think that's true of Loki as well, right? Like, we're mostly, most of us have been introduced to him as a villain. Right. So, uh, I love Loki. Uh, and uh, he's got great fashion sense. Uh, he's uh, really effective at um, murdering bunches of people. And uh, he currently has taken over Asgard in movie universe. So uh, that, that he basically has accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, we'll see where that goes in Thor 3, which should be released next year. But if you've listened to this podcast for any length, you know I love Loki, so he had to be mentioned. So that's not the reason why I almost didn't want to mention him, because I'm like, <laughs> obviously. Like, yeah. <laughs> So I guess then I'm done with uh, comic book characters. I don't have any other comic book characters. So my next pick is from a video game. <laughs> uh, and it is Ganondorf from Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You know, I considered putting him on my list and then didn't. So I'm interested well, to see why. Well, see, Mandy, maybe that means you should make better decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. so I mean, if you considered him, you can we can you can help me make the case for him. But he's I mean, again, he's really creepy. You're introduced to him pretty early in the game um, when you are playing as Child Link, and he's just this imposing figure. Uh, he is the the in this particular game, he's the like they have one man born to the uh, to the tribe every generation. The to Gerudo, the Gerudo, yeah. The Gerudo, yeah. Um, every is every generation or like 27 years or something like that. And he's that. Uh, and then you find out later that he is the villain of the entire story. Uh, and he's just, you know, you see him early and as part of the storyline, you fall asleep for seven years. And when you wake up, he has taken over and, yeah. and he won. And, yeah, he won. And when you look around the entire, the town that you wake up in is just dead. Like there are zombies walking around. They're called Redead. And it's just he totally won. The world is a dark, dark, dark place. And if not for you, the hero of time who hibernated for seven years, he would have won for good. Uh, he's he's really a really an effective villain, and he's just he's creepy, and it's a really good version of him. Um, and he's different from different versions of Ganondorf. Uh, yeah, so pretty effective. Uh, proud to have him on my list. Yeah, you know, I I, I really like Ocarina of Time. I th I think it's a great story. Um, uh, and uh, Ganondorf is is part of what makes that work, right? Uh, and uh, he won. And th if Link never woke up, he would continue to win. Yep. Yeah. There was really no other opposition. He because at that point, I mean, the rest of the opposition, which is the the sages, like they've already been beaten too. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Cool. So I cracked open video games. I don't know if you're going to if you're going to have any from them, I, but I don't I don't play enough video games. Oh. Uh, so my next one is one we've talked about on this uh, podcast before, but Grand Admiral Thrawn. Ooh, he was one of my honorable mentions. So. Yeah. Uh, so Grand Admiral Thrawn is uh, from the Star Wars, I guess, Legends universe, though now he's in Star Wars Rebels, but I haven't watched Star yeah, Wars he, Rebels. Yeah, he's officially canon now. Um. Did you see the announcement for the uh, for the book? Yes, but I, I'm saying as I haven't read or I haven't oh. consumed any of that media, so I don't know how, if he's changed. Gotcha. Uh, I assume not because the book is being written by Timothy Zahn, so exactly. I, I assume he's just adapting Thrawn to the new universe. Um, but Grand Admiral Thrawn, I think, is great because he's so effective and in a very like not overly villainous way, but believes things that are troubling. And could literally single-handedly bring the Empire back. 
right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he has this whole thing about studying cultures before taking over them. He thinks you can learn a lot about cultures from their art. And, uh, you know, being an alien in the Empire means he, you know, is way better at his job than most other Grand Admirals because aliens aren't really a thing in the Empire. They're kind of like a human supremacy group. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's just like got plans within plans and is a very good strategist, you know, uh, who, you know, you almost wish he was on the right side, right? Because he's so good at his job, but he's not. He's on the wrong side. And that makes him a villain because he actually believes in what the Empire stands for. Um, I mean, so- I'd argue he's definitely... The Empire is, I mean, if, assuming you want the Empire to succeed, the Empire is better off with him in the lead than the Emperor, right? Like, yeah. Or at least that's how I feel. So, Yeah. Well, depends on the view you ascribe to the Emperor, I guess. But <laughs> whether Maybe. he's actually controlling a lot of people with the Force and holding things together with weird uh, Force powers, right? That's true. Because then he's a weirdly effective leader, right? Uh, right, he's because just, he's using his powers to do so. Right. He just happens to be insane. So Right. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, Grand Admiral Thrawn is a lot better a general than Darth Darth Vader is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I honestly don't know why the Emperor puts Darth Vader in charge of any fleets. Like, you, I mean, I guess he has Clone War like experience if you go into like the Clone Wars and, and stuff and, like that. And but. it does depend too on how much you're looking at. Like Darth Vader in the first movie, there's no real reason to doubt his ability. You yeah. know, at that point, it's not until later on. That, you know, when you learn more about him, that... Except he couldn't shoot down Luke Skywalker, and I just... Yeah, but, but <laughs> part of that is the whole Force thing, right? Like yeah. You could, you, at that point, you're like, well, there's this whole Force thing that can throw things off, whereas if Luke was anyone else, would he have been able to, you know? So... It's true. Cool. So, uh, I'm going to lighten things up a little bit, <laughs> and uh, go with a... With Zim from Invader Zim. I've have never you- seen Invader Zim. You should watch it. It's, it's it's a very short show. Um, it was so this Invader Zim aired on Nickelodeon from 2001 to 2002, and Zim is so he's from this alien race whose hierarchy of like who is better than whom is not based on skills but based on height. What? And so their leader is known as the Almighty Tallest. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, I mean, this show is very funny. Uh, and so Zim like. No, Zim is very short. People think very little of him. He's also incompetent. So there is that. (laughs) But that's not why they look down on him. They look down on him because of his height. And so these guys basically just make him go on just a worthless mission, which is to take over Earth. And uh, so he's he's sent to Earth. And it's basically just to get him out of everybody else's way is why he's sent to Earth. But he takes his mission very, very seriously. And he is terrible at it. And he is hysterical. Um, he has a little robot assistant named Gurr who is just, Mandy, no one can watch Invader Zim and not fall in love with Gurr. Like, he's <laughs> just wonderful. He's just a little robot assistant who makes goofy noises and is inadvertently way more competent than Zim. Like, any of Zim's successes come from him. Uh, but yeah, Invader Zim. Zim is just hysterical and terrible at taking over the planet. Um, but he is very lovable as such <laughs> and I highly recommend it. And it's a, it's a pretty short show. I, I mean, I can't remember how many seasons it was. I want to say two seasons and you know, it's a 20 minute cartoon and each season is like 13 episodes or so. So it's like somewhere in the range of, you know, 25 to 28 episodes total. Um, which would be like, I don't you know, 12 or 13 episodes of, you know, one of the live action hour long shows we watch. So 
pretty short show. Can definitely recommend it. Um, and Zim is great. Cool. I might have to check it out. Uh, so my next is from a book that I'm not sure you've read, Michael. Uh, but I'm going to butcher this name. Just wait for it. I cannot pronounce this. <laughs> uh, Anander Mianai, uh, which is the uh, Emperor of the Ratch in Ancillary Justice by okay. Anne Lecky. It's on my list of things to read, but I don't worry about spoilers. I won't get to it in a while, and I've heard people talk about it. So, All right, so she, uh, she is the emperor, um, and uh, but the whole thing about ancillary justice is uh, you have these um, ships that have ancillaries. <laughs> That's where the name comes from. Uh, and the ancillaries are humans that have no mind of their own. They are part of the ship. Um, and so uh, basically the ship has multiple components to itself but they're all the ship um i so um and anander mian anander the emperor whatever uh she is the only non-ship creature we know that is also like this that she has multiple um there are multiple ananders running around but they're mm-hmm. theoretically all the same mind i uh, but uh spoilers 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 <laughs> uh she is both a good guy and a bad guy because at some point there was a thing that happened in the history of her rule because she's been alive for a long time since she could just make herself new bodies um, that caused her uh, mind to split. So now Anander has at least two different subcomponents, but like no one can tell. No one knows. Uh, so it's like, do you trust this person or do you not trust this person? Are they the Anander on your side or not? But regardless, they're the emperor. Uh, and like, it's really, uh, uh, scary, especially for ships because who are like characters in this book, right? The ships are, are basically sentient. Mm-hmm. Um, because Anander, uh, has all the access code to all the ships to just change their minds on things um and and break the ships you know uh, and and uh so i uh, it's it's a really weird you know thing where uh she's both a good guy and a bad guy to a certain extent though i think in the end our main character is just like i don't even care about anander she so uh by the very end of like the whole trilogy but um because they have different motives but uh yeah it's a very weird like thing because you can meet this person and not know if they are on your side or not yeah. Because you don't know which one they are. That That is, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that would add quite a bit of uh, tension and fear, potentially. Yeah. So, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I do definitely intend to get, I've heard so many good recommendations about that uh, for Ancillary Justice, and I definitely intend to get to it at some point. But, um, but I have many, many, many books on my list right now, and I'm currently working through all of The Wheel of Time, which is going to take a little bit. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm really excited about it, though. Him reading Wheel of Time, so. Well, you, cool. I guess. I shouldn't call you Yeah. Him. That's weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, you are weird, so that's okay. I am weird. That's true. <laughs> I'm weird, too. Um, all right, so my next one is another video game, Bad Guy, and it's a video game that you are currently working on. Uh, so Magnus? From, no. So, from Chrono Trigger, from 1995, uh, and I don't know how much of this you know about... Um, what times have you already seen in Chrono Trigger? The future, uh, like the super past, um, the middle time with Frog. Have you seen 1999 yet? Is 1999 not where they're from? No, they're from like 1400 or something. 
I don't think I've seen 1990. You've seen the distant future. Yes, I've seen the distant future. So you haven't seen the like, you haven't seen the end of days yet. No. Okay. Well, it's not a spoiler, but in Chrono Trigger, the world ends in 1999. Yeah, that's not which a is <laughs> huh? I said that's not a spoiler. We yeah, don't it's not a spoiler because you've already seen the time post-apocalypse. So. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about how much I can I can say here. Uh, do you have any idea who the ultimate bad guy is? I thought it was Magus. Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more. Um, I don't know. That bad guy is, uh, I'm trying to say, like, should I, I the name is not going to mean anything to you, but, um, and he's it's kind of just a force of nature. Um, but uh, Lavos is a bad guy in Chrono Trigger, and he's just. I know about Lavos. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Lavos brings the end of the world in 1999. I just, I guess I considered in my mind Lavos as a force of nature and not actually have, like, a personality. But. Right. So, as as the story goes, like, the fact that he is a force of nature plays into much more of the, just of the story and keeps, you know, motivations go, because, you know, you've got to deal with the Lavos thing. And uh, Lavos is... A part of it is, of course, this is some bias because Chrono Trigger is my favorite video game of all time and therefore one of my favorite pieces of media of all time. But Lavos is really just ever present and as such is really, uh, I don't know, really significant to me because there's so much that is touched by Lavos without people knowing that that's what has caused the events of their time to happen. Um, and I think that's a really big deal. Um, he's very different from every other bad guy on our list by a lot um, because... I feel like everything else we've had has been human or human adjacent, and Lavos is not. So, wouldn't you say? Like, I guess Darkseid and Thrawn are not human, but they're adjacent. I, I feel like, though, if Lavos is a force of nature, then he has a lot in common with humanity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. So, not, uh, not any particular human, <laughs> but that's true. Humanity in general. But uh, but Lavos is less understandable than any of the other ones that we've done because you can't really ascribe human behavior or regular, you know, character behavior to him. And I really love that that how different that is from almost any other bad guys or villains or antagonists and things like I there are a couple of other uh bad guys I can think of in Final Fantasy 10, the bad guy is Sin, uh which is a character called Sin because it's a Japanese game and they do stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um and uh that's about the only other example I can think of that's like this. So uh, yeah, so uh, basically Lavos because of how different he is from other villains. I, I feel like now, not knowing a whole lot about Lavos, it, it's almost like an epic fantasy how you have someone like the Dark One, right? And we'll yeah. talk. Like, the Dark One is not understandable for us, right? right. Like, he wants to destroy the everything. Yes. Like So this is like that, and then step it up a bit more with the like lack of ability to understand. So, which you'll, you'll see what I mean when you get there. Yeah, um, which I'm not I, there yet. You're not there. And I'm, I'm still working through my replay right now as well. But uh, I, I just really like it every time I see Lavos. So, uh, yeah. So that, I don't even know how many picks in we are. That's one, two, three, four. <laughs> That's nine. <laughs> I still have more. <laughs> yeah, I, I have two more on my list. One more really and then one honorable mention. Uh, yeah. Um, so my next one is from a book called Vicious by uh, Victoria Schwab, though on the cover she goes by V.E. Schwab. Um, and really, uh, there are two characters in the book called Victor and Eli. Uh, and um, Victor 
is the one that is set up as the traditional villain, but I I think it's very clear early on that they're both uh, nefarious in their own uh, specific ways. Uh, and it's a really good book because I think a lot of it plays with what it means to be a villain and like the whole idea of villainy. Um, and uh, it's definitely, you can tell, written with love by someone who loves things like uh, the superhero genre. Uh, and, uh, but really focusing on these aspects of like who people perceive to be heroes versus who people perceive to be villains and how that affects your behavior when you're perceived one way. Uh, and you know, uh, it, it's, it's really good. Um, so I don't want to say too much because spoilers, uh, but I highly recommend it if you like the, if you, if you like kind of like the Magneto, Magneto, uh, Xavier relationship, but add in the fact that like comic book Xavier, who's not as clean cut good as Patrick Stewart Xavier, <laughs> uh, and, uh, complicate that by tenfold, uh, you'll probably like this book. And, uh, it's when I think of villains, I think of this book. Uh, I mean, I have seen through Twitter, like, I, I think I now know multiple people who know, uh, Victoria Schwab personally. So, um, so she pops up on like my various feeds pretty frequently and I keep meaning to read something by her. So everything she's written is gold. So, uh, uh, but this is the, most of her other books are considered YA. Okay. Um, but they're still, they're excellent. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I, I know that YA is not a denigration. Don't right. worry. You, you don't uh, have to defend that to me. <laughs> but, uh, th- this one is, uh, really great. Uh, and, but all of her books are kind of dark. That, that's kind of what makes her, her is she writes kind of dark, at least, you know, kind of gothic and then sometimes just like dark. <laughs> okay. Got it. Not uh, grim dark. Just, just dark. Dark. Got it. Um, Okay, so my last real pick, because I feel like the only other character I have definitely is honorable mention, not um, bad, not really draft material. So uh, my last one is also from a book from uh, 1965's Dune. It's Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Um, He is just kind of gross as a human being. He's he's just really, really gross. Um, And it's really interesting because the, you know, there are many, he's gross in every way, both physically and uh, as a person. But of course, it's the as a person that is the bad part. Uh, and in fact, his grossness as a, as a, like physically was uh, done to him by, uh, by, I don't know. Do you know much about Dune? Have you, I've have you seen read it? All the movies. Okay. So in the movie, I, I mean, I don't know how much they actually fill you in in the movie. I actually don't even know how much of this is filled in in the original book versus the prequels. But uh, Baron Harkonnen at one point raped one of the Bene Gesserit, one of the you know, the witches that, that they have. And in the process, because they have weird control over their bodies and so on, she basically tainted his body so that what he used to prize, his physical, uh, his kind of how he looked, uh, he was apparently in amazing shape, kind of like a, you know, statuesque type person. And so as punishment for what he was doing, she, you know, basically did this to him where he would just bloat for the rest of his life and be unable to really function, which is pretty, you know, fitting for him. But he's just so terrible. Like anything that a person can be guilty of, he's guilty of. Uh, And just the worst of ways, just really disgusting. Uh, He's, of course, you know, got all kinds of machinations to kill the, you know, to put large groups of people under his boot, um, anything that he can do to get power, he will. And he's, it's just, 
really, really terrible. And I, Dune is one of my very favorite books. Uh, I mean, if I had to come up with a short list of my favorite books, Dune would be up there. And the Baron is just so distasteful and so gross that he's got to be on my list. So I need to read Dune. You really do. And it's, it is a dry read. So I remember the, but the first time I read it, a friend handed it to me in high school uh, and I hadn't even heard of Dune at the time because I think we've discussed this before, even on the podcast. I'm a self-made nerd. My parents are not nerds and they didn't grow up in American culture. So essentially things that friends handed to me or that I found on my own is what I read when I was going up through high, like up until high school. And then suddenly I had a bunch more nerd friends who knew a bunch more nerd things. And Dune, I finished in a night. And then my friend didn't expect me to finish that quickly. So I read it again the next night as he brought me the sequel for the following day. <laughs> uh, uh, but it is dry. As long as you're willing to power through the beginning when it starts to pick up, though, it's a it's definitely a pretty doable read. And you can see so much of it in, say, Star Wars and various other things. Um, I am pretty sure that the uh, that um, what's it called? Uh, the series that I'm reading that we just. Wheel of Time. About, uh, Wheel of Time. There are a bunch of things in there that I feel like are inspired by Dune as well, um, but that we can talk about later on whenever we get around to talking about the Wheel of Time. So uh, I, I just see lots of inspiration from Dune and a lot of other sci-fi and fantasy media, and I really, really love that I got to read it before a lot of those things. I saw the movie at an early age, because uh, second generation geek, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've tried to read the book and I can't get past the first chapter just being so like, it it almost feels like reading a history textbook. Yes. And, and that is very much part of his intentional style. Um, it it might be better if I try to listen to it on an audiobook. Maybe it might, but you'll get there. I think, um, and I think just if you power through, because even for a fan, the beginning is tough. So, um, worth it though. Definitely worth your time. (laughs) Uh, especially because the movie is like kind of campy um well i've seen I, both versions of the movie I, i've seen the old one and the new sci-fi one uh, i actually haven't seen the new sci-fi one yet and so. i say new but it was like 10 15 years ago now yeah so <laughs> I, I still haven't seen that one i've just seen the old one but uh i i fell asleep the first time i was watching the old one um <laughs> even after I, I already was a dune fan so it's very different so recommend getting to the original source material and seeing what you think then and you know what i've gotten a bunch of people to read it several of whom were happy to have read it but several also didn't enjoy it at all. And that's fine. It's uh, like, I don't necessarily think it's a book for everybody, but as someone who is as in tune with nerd culture as you are, I feel like just reading the original Dune and not bothering with any of the other books is totally worth your time. Yeah. I'll just have to power through it. Like I powered through pride and prejudice. Oh, that pains me. I love pride and prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) I like the story. I hate the writing. Uh, yeah. So honorable mentions. Yeah, let's do honorable mention. Uh, my first honorable mention is James Wesley from Daredevil. Uh, he's basically a villain's, you know, assistant. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, I, when we were talking about this originally, and I was like, man, if I had to make a team of villains, a lot of these villains don't work together on a team. Yeah. Right? Like, I would never put a Loki, Loki on a team with anyone. That's That'd just- be a really weird handicap to put on a villain draft, because villains... By their nature, the best villains wouldn't be good at working together, right? Depends on the villain, I suppose. But uh, James Wesley is a very Hufflepuff villain uh, who would be very supportive and would be a great assistant to anyone on this list except possibly, like, Lucifer. Because Lucifer. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my first honorable mention. 
All right. Um, yeah, why don't you go ahead and list all your honorable mentions? Uh, my go. other one is Ananke. Uh, and oh, the only yes. reason why I didn't necessarily up her on the list is because we still don't fully understand her motivation. Uh, and I won't say any more spoilers than what was already in our Wicked and Divine podcast, but I would say we still don't fully understand her motivation. Yeah, we still <laughs> so, don't even now. So until the end of the series, I'm not sure I can decide whether she's villain villain or just like seems villainous for the greater good kind of villain, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say where she'd fall on the list. But right now she deserves an honorable mention, I think. And yeah. that's all the honorable mentions I have other than, I suppose, I don't know, Voldemort. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, my first honorable mention was the Emperor specifically from empire strikes back because he was still a pretty imposing figure yeah there um but i when i went back and forth between him and darth vader i felt like darth vader was definitely the more iconic villain and uh at least in the first movie so yeah that was pretty easy uh and then my other my my second one was uh the t-1000 from t2 from yeah, terminator 2 because pretty creepy and just keeps coming you know uh and that uh that first time you know when he kills the family by changing into the you know and, and then answers the phone it's just really really creepy really really creepy i don't know how uh, robots didn't make my list <laughs> <laughs> you know between the matrix and skynet uh you know there's to be fair we came up with these lists very quickly that is true but so, that was like you know 15 minutes so yeah so i, I think that if we had given any given ourselves like a week to prepare we probably would have ended up with very different lists uh, <laughs> fair uh, so a Dracula yeah. would still be my number one. Okay. Terrifying. Yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, I put Darth Vader first because of just how iconic he is, but I don't know if he would actually be, I don't know that I have a single favorite villain, like, Once or again, most terrifying. Dracula is not my favorite. <laughs> most terrifying. I just, I think of him as the most significant villain on my list, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, I guess if we could just each settle with the two uh, honorable mentions and call it a, a draft. Yeah. At the one hour mark. Um, that's a pretty short podcast for us these days. It is. You know, but villains are what make and break a story, right? And, and we didn't really talk about that much, but... But that's uh, because this is a fun draft that we yeah. put together on really short notice because we had a free afternoon and wanted to have something fun to throw into our podcast feed. Since so. the other podcast met an untimely doom. And hopefully this helps us out with getting back under control on our schedule so that we continually have new episodes to post. Yay. Um, yay. All right. Well, uh, on that note, do you want to sign us off? Sure. Um, I have to follow me. You can follow me on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. Uh, you can follow Michael at uh, Ahim, A-U-H-I-M. And you can follow the podcast at Triv Crucial. Um, until next time. All right. Bye.